turn in your copy of the Scriptures or scroll in your Bible app to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 18. Uh, Today we finish Luke 18, and so we will be looking at verses 35 through 43. Luke 18, verses 35 through 43. And in honor of the reading of God's holy word, if you are physically able, would you please stand at this time and follow along silently as I read aloud Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. This is what the word of God says. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Sometimes someone will pose a question to you as a yes or no question, but you find it hard to answer in just one word, just by simply saying yes or simply saying no. Recently, someone asked me such a question when they posed the following question to me, do you believe in the sign gifts? This is one such question I find it difficult to answer simply yes or simply no for a few reasons. First, I don't think the person was asking me if I believe they ever existed or were in operation at all, since texts such as the one we're looking at today, as well as countless others throughout the New Testament, reveal that they certainly took place. Uh, If you take all the Gospels into account, you'll see Jesus seem to perform miracles on an almost daily basis, and quite frankly, they were virtually impossible to deny. In fact, you'll notice his enemies never deny the miracles right? When somebody was dead and now they're walking around, that's undeniable. But they wouldn't deny the miracles, but they would say he's doing it by the power of Satan. And so they would make that blasphemous charge against Jesus. But the miracles were undeniable. Uh, As the word of God proved to be unstoppable throughout the book of Acts, uh, God used uh, the, the, the sign gifts when the church was in its infancy Uh, being performed by the apostles to the same end of revealing the power of Christ and the power of the gospel over sin, over death, over disease, demons, and just nature in general. This person wasn't asking me if I believed if the sign gifts ever existed, because we both believe the Bible, and the Bible clearly says they did. As I look back upon it, I think I was really being asked a two-fold question. Do I believe that they exist and are in operation today? And do I believe the more popular reports that we hear of signs and wonders and miracles and healings and prophecies and the supernatural and the like are those examples of the sign gifts? I responded that generally speaking, I would categorize myself as a charismatic with a seatbelt. A charismatic with a seatbelt. Now what I mean by that is 
I'm not convinced from the word of God that the sign gifts have ceased being used by God today. And even though I'm not convinced that they, are, that they have ceased, the vast majority of what I hear when it comes to them uh, reportedly being in operation, I actually don't believe that that's what they are because they don't seem to line up with the scriptures. Uh, charismatic with a seatbelt. Somebody renting out a stadium and either selling tickets or taking up a, a collection of money as people approach a stage to be healed by someone who screams in their face and knocks them over is not exactly what I see throughout the New Testament. Uh, they likely leave the place with the same ailment plus a bruise because they hit the floor. When someone prophesies over someone to the effect that God is going to do great things through you, that's such a broad prophecy, it's hard to know how it would be fulfilled. It's great if you go overseas and plant the church. It's great if you give to the poor. It's great if you let someone cut in front of you while you drive. And it's great if you actually signal when you change lanes, please and thank you. There's lots of great things that God might do through you. And so this, pro- or God's going to do a great, one time when I was living in New York, uh, a, a pastor that I know said, God is going to do great things in this city. Well, what is, I don't know, okay, I don't know what that means. God's going to do great things. Are you talking about revival? Are you talking about it just starts to smell better? Because New York City has a kind of constant smell that maybe the Lord would bless us with removing. I don't know what that means that God's going to do great things in this city. So I don't believe the sign gifts have ceased. But when I read my Bible and I look at what people claim to be an exercising of the sign gifts, most times what I see doesn't align with what I read. And so I don't believe they've ceased but I also don't believe that's them. Does that make sense? Charismatic with a seatbelt. I do know of missionaries who have shown up to places where, so far as they know, they're the first people on the scene with the gospel ever. And they hear stories of what seems to be God having used miraculous things and dreams and signs and wonders to maybe kind of till the ground and make it ready for gospel seeds to be planted. I think that's wonderful. Just because what I see isn't it doesn't mean that it's not happening legitimately elsewhere. The world's a pretty big place. I have no idea what God is doing elsewhere for his glory and for others. Good, nor do I think it incumbent upon the Lord to make sure that what he's doing hits my social media feed. And so just because it doesn't uh, come across my desk doesn't mean it's not happening somewhere. And so even though I'm not crazy about what most people say it is, That doesn't mean that God's not actually doing it somewhere. I'm charismatic with a seatbelt. I know what it's not, but I don't know that it's not happening elsewhere. Why am I talking about this? Because here's something you need to know about the text that we read today, and that brings us right to point number one. Nobody heals like Jesus did. Nobody heals like Jesus did. Uh, I put in your outline five characteristics of Jesus' healing ministry. Nobody had a healing ministry like Jesus did. I mean, it's just category, it's in a category in and of itself. Nobody heals like Jesus did. And so there are five characteristics of Jesus' healing ministry that I want to call to your attention today. First, Jesus healed instantly. He healed instantly. Luke 18, verse 43. It says, and immediately he recovered his sight. It didn't happen over time. Jesus healed instantly. There weren't any progressive healings where Jesus healed someone and they healed over time. When someone heals over time, the theological term for that is getting better. That's not miraculous. It's not that it's not good, but it's just not a miraculous healing. What is miraculous is Jesus speaking, and in verse 43, the man immediately recovered his sight. 
At uh, many years ago, when at our last church in New York City, there was an older Italian lady by the name of Josephine Maloney. And Josephine uh, looked down one day after church, and she, I said, oh, what's the matter? She goes, oh, my back, it's really hurting me. I've been struggling with this for the past few days. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I was like, I'll pray for you to get better. In fact, let me pray for you now. She says, okay. And so I prayed for her, and she went on with the rest of her day. Uh, the next week, the next week, she comes into church, and she's got a completely different look on her face. And she's looking at me kind of like this, like, you, you. And I'm like, what, what? And she goes, you're a healer. I said, no, wait, what? I said, no, I'm not a, I'm not a healer. She goes, you prayed for me, and I got better. You're a healer. You have a gift. I said, I'm not. I said, no, that's not, what, that's not this thing. That's not what happened. She goes, look at you so modest. You don't even know. I'm like, no, I'm not modest. I'm honest. I'm not, a, I'm not a healer. I prayed for you to get better. She goes, you prayed for me on Sunday. Monday, didn't feel great. Tuesday, so much better. It's like, that's not healing. Where God, like, you, where I heal, I put hands on somebody and pray for them, and they heal within 48 to 72 hours. That is God work. We give God all the glory for it, but that's not a miraculous healing. She brought two of her friends the next week. They're standing there looking at me like they're in the presence of somebody amazing, and they wanted me to pray for them because they were in pain. And so I prayed for them and that because they were in pain, and it didn't take, and they never came back. But still, I, that, that's not a miraculous healing. That is God answering prayer. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, her symptoms vanished. Luke chapter 4. And when Jesus healed the centurion's servant, he was healed immediately, Matthew 8. When Jesus healed the woman who was hemorrhaging, it didn't go down to a trickle and, and eventually stop. It stopped. The ten lepers were healed immediately and told to show themselves to the priests right then and there. Jesus told the crippled man, pick up your bed and walk. And he did. When Jesus healed someone, they were instantly healed. Jesus healed instantly. Number two, Jesus healed totally. Uh, Again, Luke 18, verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. So he was, he had sight, the ability to see so much that not only he could just see, but he was actually able to now walk and follow Jesus to do something he probably was not able to do unassisted for quite some time, if ever. It doesn't say he slowly started being able to see and light came in and then it was silhouettes and it was shadows and then it was fuzzy, but then it was clear. He not only recovered his sight, but was able to go and follow him. That's how Jesus rolled. Jesus healed instantly. Jesus healed totally. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, she went from being bedridden to serving a meal to company. Jesus healed instantly and totally. And number three, Jesus also healed everyone. So many times nowadays, so-called healers will leave behind long lines of disappointed people who weren't healed for one reason or another. That's not the case with Jesus. In your outline, Luke chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, All the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Matthew 4 and verse 24 says, His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, and he healed them. Jesus healed instantly. He healed totally. He healed everyone. And here's something else that I think is important to know. Jesus healed organic disease. He healed organic disease. He didn't heal vague conditions like general pain in a general area of somebody's body. He gave full mobility to paralyzed limbs. Uh, 
Completely blind eyes could now see. Completely deaf ears could now hear. Leprous skin was now clear. They were literally undeniable. Matthew 4 and verse 23 says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Nothing was out of bounds. Jesus healed organic disease. And finally, maybe even most importantly, Jesus raised the dead. Jesus raised the dead. And when he raised the dead, it wasn't someone who was in a temporary coma or someone whose vitals had fluctuated at a certain time. This was like D-E-A-D, dead. Dead like a young man in a casket on his way to the graveyard, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Dead as in a young girl whose death was apparent to all because everybody was talking about it, and Jesus has raised her from the dead, Jairus' daughter. Dead as in a man named Lazarus who had been dead for four days. That's who Jesus raised from the dead. This isn't like kind of dead. I'm not dead yet, Monty Python. It's not, no, no, this is literally straight up dead. Jesus raises the dead like nobody else raises the dead. Nobody heals like Jesus. Now, here's what you need to know. Just because it's not miraculous doesn't mean that God wasn't the one completely behind it. Uh, keep your finger in Luke 18 and turn over to the book of James. Uh, turn over to James chapter 1. Uh, James 1, uh, look at verses 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God gets all the glory for everything, miraculous or providential. It all comes from him. He will take a thank you and all the glory for all the good that is happening in your life. Sometimes you could be so busy looking for God in the wow that you miss him in the now. Right? The, the, the everyday good that God performs in your life for his glory and for our good. On Friday, I actually woke up with some significant back pain. Uh, on, I prayed that it would be relieved. On Saturday, uh, it was significantly less, and today it is gone. I woke up and thanked the Lord. Why? Because he answered my prayers and reduced my back pain, and every good gift comes from above, including a good night's sleep and four 200-milligram uh, capsules of Advil because I learned that prescription strength is 800 milligrams, and you could take that, and you can also dovetail it halfway through the dosage period with Tylenol. In Jesus' name, right? It's, it's all to his glory. So every good gift comes from above. Just because it's not miraculous doesn't mean it didn't come from the Lord. It most certainly came from the Lord. So don't miss out the fact that God is working in your life for his glory and your good. Just because it's not miraculous doesn't mean you shouldn't thank him for it. His providence is unbelievably kind and unbelievably good. Don't be so busy looking for the wow that you miss him in just the ordinary now. Let's take another look at the passage today and see what else we see about Jesus. So back in Luke chapter 18, let's pick it up in verse uh, 35. Verse 35 says, as he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho 
a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. So blindness was way more common in Jesus' day than it is now. Uh, Whether it was caused by birth defects or injury or disease, it was not uncommon for people to know someone, maybe even multiple people, who were blind. That's why Jesus actually, I think, uses it as an illustration so often when it comes to spiritual ignorance, right? He refers to the Pharisees as what? Blind guides. And so blindness was something, I mean, we can picture it. You might know somebody who was blind, but back in Jesus' day, just about everybody knew somebody who was blind. So it, it brought to mind an immediate picture of what that actually is. It was an easy-to-understand, easy-to-apply word picture for his original audience. Unfortunately, Jewish people despised the blind because, as we've said so many times before, people believed that blindness or any persistent health condition was a sign of God's judgment on sin. And so that's why this man has been reduced to begging. It's in part because he was blind, but it's mostly because of how other people interpreted his blindness and kept their distance from him, thinking, I don't know what this guy did, but God wouldn't leave him blind if he was righteous. And so he probably has some besetting sin. He is unrighteous, and so this person was marginalized. And so he's begging uh, because he's blind and because people despised people who had prevailing health conditions. Pick it up in verse 36. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And so he must have heard, this crowd must have sounded different, more raucous, more full of people. And he's like, what's, what's going on? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Verse 38 says, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Now, let's stop there. And so as you picture this, there are maybe two things you might picture as you read through this that I would like to call to our attention to dispel. Uh, The first is this. Please don't picture in your mind's eye a crowd of people rebuking this blind man. That's... That doesn't seem what's happening from the text. They weren't ganging up on him. They weren't against him. What's happening here is likely, uh, it says in in verse, uh, what is it, 39, those who were in front rebuked him. And so what's happening here is likely Jesus' security detail, for lack of a better term. Like people are walking in front, like just kind of making sure that people could make way, that he could get through. Uh, this is just a few people making sure Jesus could get through. So it's not like the crowd's attention was turned toward this blind man. It was probably just a couple of guys telling the blind guy to like pipe down and sit down. The crowd wasn't involved. It's probably just a few guys up front. But here's something else. Please don't think the crowd was looking down upon those who were rebuking the blind man. Uh, Not only were they uninvolved, they were likely unaware when the guys up front were rebuking the blind man and telling him to get out of the way and sit down, this wasn't anything, this was just Tuesday, right? Like this was just an ordinary day. This could happen on any day of the week. It's like, yeah, there's a blind beggar in the way, get him out of the way. This was completely normal, completely acceptable, could have happened to anyone taking a walk and passing a beggar who might be a little more aggressive than the walkers wanted him to be. This was unbelievably believable. This was completely normal. The only time something happens that would have been considered abnormal is in verse 40. Uh, in verse 40, when Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought 
to him. That's the time that the crowd would have gotten a little silent. That would have gotten people's attention. Not the blind guy, not people telling the blind guy to sit down. But when Jesus says, stop, oh, stop. Bring him to me. Not normal. Very strange that they would stop in his tracks and say, bring that blind man to me. Which brings us to our second point. You need to be like Jesus and love people you find acceptable to reject. You need to be like Jesus and love people you find acceptable to reject. Every culture has this phenomenon. Every people group has this phenomenon where the Prevailing thinking among the people, the, the group think, if you will, is such that nobody will ever call you out for rejecting that particular person or those particularly people. Because rejecting them, mocking them, speaking ill of them is literally the norm. It's just how it is. Like these things you've done since your youth, right? So it's just, it's acceptable to reject them. It's acceptable to, to, to mock them. I remember being uh, in Eastern Europe at one point, and there was um, a certain people group that are rejected really throughout group, the Roma people, which I don't have time to get into. And I'm walking with Christians. I'm walking, I'm walking with Christians. We get to a place, and we're waiting for an elevator, and all of a sudden, one of the Christians, with this, this person comes up, this uh, Roma person comes up and, and is, is begging, and I kid you not, there's probably half a dozen of us one of the Christians takes an umbrella and jabs this little girl in the chest to get her back. Nobody was amazed at this. Nobody was shocked by this. I was shocked by this. I am the foreigner. I'm the visiting white man. Like, I was not, what, okay, what is going on? Everybody else is like, yeah, it's, it's Tuesday. This is what we do. It was completely acceptable to reject this person. It was culturally the norm. This turned nobody's head. But if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to love people that you find it acceptable to reject or that people around you find it acceptable to reject. Again, you might think in this account that we're looking at today that the wow factor was surrounding the miracle. And believe me, that got a wow. Like a blind man who's no longer blind, definitely a big wow. But it was the second wow. The first wow was the fact that Jesus stopped walking and requested that a blind beggar be brought to him. But you need to be like Jesus and love people that you find acceptable to reject. You see, as Christians, we love our siblings in Christ because there are siblings in Christ. We love our brothers and sisters. Uh, I've said this recently at a parenting conference. There are times when I would call to my kids' attention that who they're sinning against is their brother. That's your brother. That's your sister. Now, that doesn't mean that if it was in, like there at the other side of the yard, and I'm like, that's your brother, and then I realize it's the neighbor kid, and I'm like, oh, no, you're good. Just go on. Follow through the elbow. Like, I'm, I'm, it, it, the, the behavior likely needs to be corrected regardless of who they're doing it to. But I also want them to realize, hey, that's your sister. 
That's your brother. The fact that someone else loves Jesus is enough of a reason for you to love them. Now, you may not like them. You may not choose to hang out with them. You might be certain that they're going to heaven and don't, like, super care if you see them before then. But the fact that someone else loves Jesus means that's your brother. Hey, that's your sister. Jesus says in John 13, it's in your outline, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Why? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You might even within Christian circles, within our church family, within your family, whatever, within your circles, there might be groups of Christians that you find it or your people find it acceptable to reject. I know they're Christians, but no, not, it's whatever. I'm not going there. I'm not talking to them. I don't love them. That's your brother. Don't remind me. I think nowadays Christians have more acceptable rejections in their mind and heart than perhaps ever before, certainly than perhaps ever before in my young life and ministry. I've literally heard people question the authenticity of another believer's profession of faith because of their opinions on politics. Someone who genuinely loves the Lord but thinks differently or voted differently Say, I can't be a Christian. Well, but they really love, you guys differ on this, I get it, but they really seem to love the Lord, have been for a long time. I don't know about that. I've literally heard people question the authenticity of a believer's profession of faith because of their opinions on health care, gun control. I've heard Christians say, how can you be a real Christian and get a COVID vaccine? I've heard Christians say, how can you be a real Christian and not get the COVID vaccine? I've heard people question someone's love for Jesus because of a change someone made when it comes to how they would educate their kids. Hey, it's your brother. Oh, that's your sister. In each of these instances and countless others, the idea of rejecting someone because of where they stand on an issue, people think is completely acceptable. You can find other people who will agree with you. They're not going to correct you and say, you ought not do that. They're going to be like, yeah, I know. They're kind of jacked up when they, I don't really love that they do that, that they say that, that they think that. But what I'm saying is you need to be like Jesus and love people you find acceptable to reject. 
even though you'd find ample support from other people who would accept, even applaud your rejection of someone else. If there's a Christian in your life that you find acceptable to reject, listen to me, you are not like Jesus. As Christians, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, In Matthew 22, verses 35 and following, it's in your outline, one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? The, singular, what's the great commandment? And he said to him, Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like, you're like, wait a minute, he asked for one. Jesus is like, I'm not done. A second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You say, but I asked for the great commandment. There's two. In fact, the first one is great, but then Jesus says the second is like it. So it's like, okay, so both of these are obviously really important. There is not one without the other. People don't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but hate their neighbor. We need to love the people we find acceptable to reject. But here's kind of the biggie, the, the real difference or one of the most notable differences between Christians and non-Christians is this, we love our enemies. We love our enemies. But that's the real difference. Okay. So for starters, we love people who are, who are like us. They believe, what, you're right, brother and sister, I need to remember, gotcha, okay. Need to love fellow Christians. Uh, neighbors, okay, so now you're talking about, I need to love my neighbor as myself. And so people who are, they don't think like me, they don't act like me, they may not even love Jesus, but God wants me to love them. Makes sense, I get it. Could be evangelistic. Maybe they'll see something different in me. They'll see the love of Christ, I get it. But this is different. God also calls us to love our enemies, people who are actively, volitionally, categorically, listen to me, against you, against you. They wish you harm. God wants us to love our enemies. Uh, In Luke chapter 6, verses 32 and following, uh, we read this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. That's fair, right? Like, yeah, if you love people who love you, or just a whole lot of love going on. So that's, but what's, there's nothing really special about that. Like, most people love people who love them. Like, that makes sense. Verse 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Like, there's nothing special about I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. This is logical. This makes sense. Right? You solve for X on both sides. It all cancels out. Like this, there's nothing special about this. Verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Again, not special, not noteworthy, just that's normal. How is that special? Verse 35, But 
love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the grateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Uh, You need to be like Jesus and love people you find acceptable to reject, even and especially your enemies. Also in your outline, Romans 12, beginning in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Okay, I get it. So, someone does wrong to me, I shouldn't do wrong back. I get it. I got to let it, I got to, it's fine. Right? Let it go, let it go. I can do that. I can just let it, let it just pass on by. I'm not going to do anything back. But God's like, I'm not done. Look at verse 20. Actually, not just don't do evil back, do good. Uh, To the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And so I get, if your enemy is hungry, don't kick him. That's okay. But it's not just leave him alone. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what we do that, quite frankly, nobody else does. This is this makes no sense. This is what unbelievers find completely unbelievable. This makes no sense in a lost and dying world. Usually people will expect you to be mean to people who are mean to you. Maybe people will understand you saying, I'm just not going to get involved, I'm going to let it go. But being kind to your enemies? <laughs> but we do it because we get it. Don't we? We get it. Christ showed love to his enemies. If if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because God was so impressed with you that he's like, I need that girl on my team. Oh, the kingdom would be so better if I can get that guy. The Bible says in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, completely, completely unattractive. We were enemies, and God made us friends. God has shown love to his enemies. And if you're a believer, you are an enemy of God that God has, that God has initiated a relationship with. You are an enemy of God who would remain an enemy of God, that God has chosen to bring you close. God has chosen to snatch you from the fire. God has chosen to adopt you and not just make you not an enemy, but to make you a child to bring you into his family. And so we don't love our enemies because it's a nice thing to do. That'll never motivate me. I'm going to love my enemies because I want to stand out from the crowd. That'll motivate me for like a little. Maybe. I want to be different. I want to swim upstream. That won't last. I need to love my enemy because God loved his enemy, me, you, us. 
He's not calling me to do anything he hasn't done and modeled for me. He's not calling me to do anything he hasn't done to me. So what about you? Everyone in your life falls into one of the three categories we just went over. Everyone you know, everyone you see, everyone in every car that is driving around you between here and wherever you go after here, everyone falls into one of those three categories. They're either a sibling in Christ, a fellow believer, a Christian, a neighbor, just an unbeliever, kind of nice, or an enemy, someone who is against you. And God calls us to love each and every one of them in each and every category. They're not going to all be loved the same, but they are all called, we are called to love all of them. And so here's what I want you to consider. Who specifically, maybe it's an actual person, or who collectively, maybe it's a group of people, do you find it acceptable to reject? Who do you and your friends find it acceptable to reject? You can hang out and bash this person. You will go un... un, You will not be corrected. (laughs) It will not call you out because they'll agree, right? I know. He's that way. I'm just saying. Right? It's like when people say, I don't mean to gossip. You know what they're about to do? Gossip. This is the biggest warning. Like, I don't like to gossip, but I'm probably going to. Here I go. Right? Like, I don't want to sound racist. Prepare for racist. Like, if nobody says that and then says something not racist. Nobody says, I don't mean to gossip and then doesn't gossip. They say, I don't mean to gossip, and yet somehow they hit the mark in gossiping. And so, what is it, who is it that you can speak ill of? That you could speak ill about? That you can reject? And it's acceptable. It's acceptable. You have other people on your side. You're not alone. You find it acceptable to reject this person. Maybe it's a group of people. Who generally do you find acceptable to reject? Look, I know God can save them, but he's, they think this, they do that, they act this way. They, how could they see that? How could they do that? What is God calling you to be more like Jesus? What is God calling you to do in order to be more like Jesus by loving the person or people you and your people find acceptable to reject? We need to be like Jesus and love people that we find acceptable to reject. Pick it up in verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Really? Like, this is a blind man. It's a blind man. What do you think he's going to say? What do you want me to do for you? What do you think he's going to say? It's kind of humid. If you could maybe make it nice. Like, what do you think he's going to say? But he asks him this question, what do you want me to do for you? And I think he asked him the question because of how he responded, and he said, Lord, 
let me recover my sight. Stop. He has not been healed yet. He will be. But in the narrative so far, right? Lord, let me recover my sight. So recover. He probably could see at one point. But he hasn't seen for a long time. He's blind. Lord, let me recover my sight. He has not been healed yet. But he was called Jesus, son of David, twice. He's called him Lord once. Pre-healing. He could see who Jesus was more clearly than every Pharisee in the crowd with two functioning eyes. Because he had the gift of faith. This man was saved. This man was a believer. This man knew who Jesus was. He had never seen him because he hadn't seen anyone in a really long time because he was blind. But that didn't stop him from believing in Jesus. Point number three, you don't need faith to be healed. You do need faith to be saved. You don't need faith to be healed. Jesus healed people a lot that didn't have any faith. Jesus healed 10 lepers that we read, uh, we read about earlier. You know how many of them came back worshiping Jesus? One. It's a 90% fail rate when it comes to salvation. But he heals them all. One of them was saved. You don't have to have faith to be healed. Jesus is the one who does the healing. Your faith doesn't do the healing. But in verse 42, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Isn't that a great... Lord, let me, so verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And I, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. This is not, like this is not hard for me. Just, yeah, done. Recover your sight. But your faith has made you well. There's a Greek term for healed or to be made well or to have recovered. It's iomai. That's the correct mispronunciation of the Greek. You're welcome. <laughs> and it's not used in verse 42. It's not the word. There's a Greek term, sozo, that is used, that refers to salvation. Your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has saved you. Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. This man was saved. Not So yes, there's a miracle here that he, we're not making light of the miracle of the fact that he was blind, but now he sees. But please understand, because he had the gift of faith long before he had the ability to see physically, he could see spiritually, and he loved Jesus, and he had the gift of faith before he had the gift of sight. And so we need to see like this blind man sees. Every one of us. We need that gift of faith. We cannot please God without faith. We cannot be saved without Faith, you might be able to see me with unbelievable clarity. 
You don't need faith to be healed. You do need faith to be saved. And so what about you? Are you like this blind man? You might say, no, I've never been, I've never been blind. Right, but you and me and him share something in common. We all once were spiritually dead. We all once were spiritually blind. And some of us can now see. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have spiritual sight. You've been saved. You've been born from above. God has snatched you and pulled you out of the fire. He has brought you close. He has given you a love for him that you would otherwise never have. And you can have that whether you're blind or crippled or deaf. God gives the gift of faith. What about you? Do you have that gift? This gift of saving faith that could only come from God. We can't conjure it up ourselves. We can't talk ourselves into it. Only God can give life to a dead, stone-cold heart. Only God could open up your eyes to see your need for a Savior, to see the truth of you being both hell-bound and hell-deserving, and the only hope, the only shot that you have of being made right with a holy God who's 100% pure and who could annihilate you at any time, but he sent his son to die on the cross so that he might pay the punishment for sinners like you and like me. And because he paid, we go free. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And I just want to know, is that good news to you? Or is it just, it's just news. It's just news. For those of us who know and love Jesus Christ, it's good news. It's the best news because it's the only way we can be saved and it's the only way we have been saved. Oh, would you consider today, if you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, would you consider why? Why do you not? What stands between you and believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and did what he said he did? Why do you not believe? Why go another day with uncertainty? Why go another day standing apart from a holy and righteous God when you can be brought near? Because Jesus paid it all and nothing do you owe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, we come before you grateful for your mercy, for your grace, for your steadfast love, for the fact that you are a God who saves, a God who continues to save. And Lord, we pray, would you, uh, for your glory, for our good, would you save souls even now? Would you draw people unto yourself for perhaps the first time? Would you do a work in our lives that we might glorify you with our everyday lives. For those of us who know you, would you help us to act more like you, to please you with every area of our life? But Lord, I specifically ask, would you, would you give sight to spiritually blind eyes today? Lord, would you give life to the spiritually dead today? Would you save souls today for your glory, that people might understand the good news of the gospel, even as this blind man did. 
and live with you forever. Do it for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.